Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. I want to talk this morning about the God who intervenes. Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray and all, to pray always and not lose heart. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I have noticed in recent years that it has become increasingly common to hear some Christian people say things like, I no longer believe in an interventionist God. They mean by that that they believe in God of some form, but not a God who actively intervenes and alters the course of events in their life or in the world itself. And though I understand why some might say this, there's always a backstory, and I think I understand those stories, it strikes me as on the verge of functional atheism. I mean, are we back to the God of the 18th century deists, the, the absent clockmaker, the one who created everything and then absconded and cannot be found or cannot be bothered to intervene? Who needs a God like that? <laughs> that is not the God I need, a God that is absent and non-interventionist. A God who does not intervene is not the God of the Bible, not the God of love, and not the Heavenly Father that Jesus talks about. The faithful intervention of God is what Jesus addresses in the parable of the unjust judge, which is our gospel reading this Sunday. So Jesus tells the story with the intent that people should pray perseveringly and not lose heart. And he said, well, in a certain city, there was this judge, you see. And uh, this judge did not fear God. This judge did not care for people. This judge was just a judge that liked his position of prominence and power. We would say probably today he is a corrupt judge. If he doesn't care for people, he doesn't fear any concept of justice. He just occupies that position of power and prominence within the city for his own benefit. And so we have this, this man who is really at the pinnacle or near the pinnacle of power within his own social structure. In the same city, there is a widow woman. Now, this widow woman would be the opposite end of the spectrum as far as any kind of influence. In ancient Israel, the widow was always presented as the most vulnerable of people. And so she doesn't have any kind of influence. She doesn't have any of that kind of power that the judge has. And something has gone wrong in her life where she has become the victim of some form of injustice. She needs the magistrate to act on her behalf to rectify the situation. She needs a verdict favorable to her situation so that justice can be done for her so, so that she can get on with her life. But the problem is, 
is she doesn't have any kind of influence. I mean, the judge, he, he's not interested in upsetting the order of things. He wants to preserve the position of power for people like him. He's not motivated by a concept of justice. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care for people. And so this woman's in a predicament and, and she's, she doesn't have any money. She can't bribe the judge. That's what would probably actually work to bribe the judge, but she doesn't have those resources. So she cannot enter into a transactional relationship with the judge because she just doesn't have any influence. She doesn't have any money. So she does the one thing she can do. She, she employs the one thing she has, and that is persistence. And so she goes to the judge and says, give me justice. And he says, no. But she comes back the next day. No, I really need justice. You got to give me justice. He says, no. She comes back. To, then pretty soon it's day and night. Not just showing up at the court during office hours. I mean, she's banging on his front door. Day and night saying, you got to give me justice. I need justice. I'm depending on you. You've got to do the right thing. I need this whole thing reversed. I need that given back to me. You've got to give a verdict. And she just will not shut up about this. And the judge, Jesus says, though this judge has no concept of justice, does not fear God, does not care about people, doesn't like this woman, for the sake of his own peace of mind, he finally says, you know what? I'm not going to get any reprieve unless I give her what she wants. And he issues a verdict on her behalf. And then Jesus connects this with the necessity of our perseverance in prayer. That we don't lose heart. That we don't give up. That we don't say, oh, I just no longer believe in an interventionist God. No, that we keep praying. Now, like so many of Jesus' parables, the meaning of this parable is not readily apparent. As with many of the parables, they're not, they're not illustrations necessarily to clarify things. They are intentionally, deliberately, initially disorienting, understanding that we're entering into a different world than we're used to. Are we to assume that the point of this parable that Jesus gives us is that God is like the unjust judge. That is, is God a callous and uncaring magistrate who can only be moved by transaction or badgering? Is, does he, you think that's the point that Jesus is bringing forth? No, I don't think so either, clearly, because... That contradicts everything that Jesus has been revealing to us in this gospel about the nature of the Father. For example, Jesus has already said earlier in Luke, Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. All right, so in the parable, the woman wants justice. Justice lies at the heart of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice and all these things shall be added unto you. So she's, she's looking for, in one aspect, the arrival of the kingdom of God. And all of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God. And there at the end, when he says, when the son of man comes, that's, this is tricky, but, but don't make the mistake of, of thinking, oh, he means when the son of man comes the second time. That's not, when Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man, he's talking about the coming of the Son of Man 
to fulfill the purposes of God ultimately in crucifixion and resurrection and and thus inaugurate the kingdom of God. But then the question is, when the Son of Man comes, will there be faith enough among people to perceive the arrival of the kingdom of God even though it's happening? And so this woman is, is actually looking for the kingdom of God and the justice that is inherent to that kingdom. And Jesus has already said, don't, 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 don't be afraid, little flock. You, you don't have to twist the father's arm. You don't have to badger the father's arm. But it's the father's delight. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So that is already a foundation in how we should understand God. So what's going on in this parable? Well, this parable is not about the nature of God. This parable is about the human experience with prayer. Oh, that's a horse of a different color. This is not a parable about the nature of God. This is a parable about the human experience with prayer. God is not an unjust judge, but neither is God afraid of being unjustly judged as unjust by us. (laughs) God is not afraid of being unjustly judged as unjust by us. And I think that's part of what lies behind the quip, I no longer believe in an interventionist God. I think that's actually an unjust judgment upon God. I mean, I think sometimes what lies behind that is if God doesn't answer my prayer in the way I prayed, God must be unjust or at least non-existent or absent. Well, he's, I guess he just, he can't be bothered to intervene. That's a judgment. And this is, this is what Jesus in this context calls, in fact, losing heart or losing faith. And it's what the parable is about. The idea of a non-interventionist God is not a Jesus-informed theology of prayer. I mean, just a casual perusal of what Jesus says about prayer and the Father in the Gospels. Clearly, Jesus presents the Father as one who intervenes on the behalf of those who pray to him. Jesus believed in and taught the intervention of God in response to prayer, and thus so must we. Nevertheless, the temptation to lose heart in prayer is real. That's why Jesus is giving this parable. That's the whole point of it. Jesus knows that. So don't say, well, Jesus, you don't understand that I've been praying and nothing's happening. Jesus, no, I do understand. And that's why I'm giving you this teaching. That's why I'm giving this parable. So let's talk about it. First of all, a loss of heart so that no one so that one no longer believes in the intervention of god is usually a theology of prayer uh, somewhat developed somewhat dispassionately at a distance from real dire need They may be drawing upon past experience, but in their present moment, they're not under great duress when people say, I don't really believe in the intervention of God anymore. Because almost everyone in desperate need at least wants to believe in the intervention of God. That's been my experience as a pastor. Somebody, you know, like trying to do some theology at a distance, sort of uh, non-existential. Trying to do it very objective, they might, they might cook up this idea, well, I just don't, I no longer believe in the intervention of God. And yet when they're in a real crisis, 
They, they actually at least want to believe in the intervention, but they want to pray and they want to receive prayer. They, they reach a point where God help me. I, I know, I know I've been floating this theology that you don't intervene, but God intervene. Right. George MacDonald, great Scottish, what it was MacDonald. He was everything, you know, he was a preacher. He was a pastor until they got rid of him. He was an author, a playwright, a theologian, a poet, a mystic. Uh, George MacDonald can't say enough good about him. In his unspoken sermons, you know, they threw him out of his Presbyterian church there in Scotland. And so he just wrote his sermons and published them in a book called Unspoken Sermons because they were unspoken. But man, they speak to me. And they've spoken to millions since then. Thank God that those Presbyterians shut him down so that we could have his sermons today. And in his sermon, uh, The Word of Jesus on Prayer, which is from this text, the, the story of the unjust judge, good old George MacDonald, he writes this. If you are in any trouble, try whether God will not help you. If you are in no need, why should you ask questions about prayer? And for the one who does not want to pray, I would not lift a straw to defeat such a one in the argument whether God hears or does not hear prayer. But I want to believe in God. I want to know that there is a God that answers prayer, that I may believe in him. There was a time when I believed in him. I prayed to him in great and sore trouble of heart and mind, and he did not hear me. How do you know he did not hear you? He did not give me what I asked for, though the well-being of my soul hung upon it. In your judgment, perhaps God knew better. I am worse for God's refusal. I would have believed in God if he had heard me. Until the next desire came, which God did not grant, and then you would have turned your God away. Verily, if we have God, we can do without the answer to any prayer. Mm. There's wisdom there from the venerable George MacDonald. This is the problem with having a transactional concept of faith. That God must be either bribed or badgered. Some people think, well, you know, if, I, if we just pray enough, pray enough, pray enough, pray enough, pray enough, pray enough, and then that eventually there's enough prayer that mounts up and God says, okay. Or... If, if you come from some kind of, you know, word of faith background, it's you, you need the right current. You need the pure coin of faith in sufficient amount that you can insert into the God machine. <gasps> and now comes the miracle. Now come, you know, some of you lived through that, right? You, you're just you're just constantly trying to mint the perfect faith coinage so that you can give it back to God. And now pops the miracle. And when you're in a dire situation and you're praying for a miracle and the miracle doesn't come, the theological explanation is, sorry, you just didn't have the right coin. You didn't have enough faith currency or else God would have given you what you desired. Well, transactional certitude has nothing to do with real faith and it's a cruel theology. 
Because then not only do people have to go through whatever they have to go through in suffering, then they have to also bear the self-imposed guilt that somehow it's their fault that they didn't have enough faith. How many of you know about that? All right, so I understand the reaction to that. But to go from that kind of real cold transactional relationship with God. It's all on me to come up with enough faith coinage that I can put in the machine, the God machine and get what I want. And I don't have it to go from that to, I no longer believe in an intervention as God is just a leap to the other side of the ditch of certitude. It's just another certitude. Well, God does not intervene. (laughs) How about the truth is somewhere in between all of that. Um, I do understand the challenge that unanswered prayer and unjust suffering poses to faith. I mean, I, I, I get it. I understand that. I understand it as a pastor, but I just understand it as a Christian. I understand that there are times in all of our lives when we have thought, you know, if I were God, I would for sure answer this prayer. This is not a selfish prayer. God, it would seem like it would be awful easy, you being omnipotent and all, just to intervene right now in this particular way and give me the money (laughs) or whatever it is. Am I I talking to anybody that relates to me? Okay. I I do understand that both as a pastor, but also just as a praying person myself. But despite this challenge, that is the challenge of unanswered prayer. How many many of you have some unanswered prayers in your life? Sure. Things you prayed for that didn't happen. Um, Despite the challenge of unanswered prayer, I still believe in a God who intervenes. I mean, for no other reason, there are other reasons, but primarily because my faith really is informed by the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I would call that an intervention. There was nothing, then there was something. Why? God intervened. God said, let there be. God did that. God God did that. (laughs) Wouldn't that be intervention? Why is there something instead of nothing? God intervened. God said, let there be. And then as you read the story that the Bible tells in what we call the Old Testament, it's, it's the story of the history of Israel. Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and then Moses and the Exodus and you get into, you know, the kings and David and Solomon and the prophets and Elijah and Elijah and all of that. It's a messy story, but you can't get away from the fact that in the history of Israel, God is intervening. God is trying to direct. Not always entirely successful because we're able to resist, but God is intervening. And then finally, You get to the culmination of that story, which is, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, the incarnation of the logos in Jesus of Nazareth is what I would call like the ultimate intervention. For God so loved the world that he intervened and gave us his only begotten son. And I believe that God continues to intervene in the lives of all of his children. But Jesus also understands that there are seasons when it appears our prayers are unanswered. This is is the whole point. This is why Jesus says, persevere, keep praying, 
Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Continue to pray. And as we continue to pray, answers do come in various ways. Not always as we anticipate, but they come. Remember the apostle Paul. I'd say he has faith. Yeah. The apostle Paul, you know, his whole life. Encounters Christ, Damascus Road, becomes this great missionary. He works miracles. People are healed by his miracles. He even raises the dead. I mean, he had that happen. But then he had some sort of thorn in the, in the flesh. It seems like it's probably some sort of physical infirmity, although it's not specifically spelled out. But it looks like it's something in his physical body that's an infirmity. Might have something to do with, a, with diseased eyes because he makes reference to that. But that's speculation. And the point is, there's something in his life that he doesn't want that he calls it a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Anybody know about that? This is not from God. This is from the devil and it's buffeting me. And he says, I entreated the Lord. Entreated is a nice word. I mean, he, I begged the Lord. That's really what that word means. I begged the Lord three times to take it away. And he didn't. Remember that? He begged Jesus three times to take this away. And he didn't get what he prayed for, but he did get a word from the Lord. And the word was this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm not going to answer the prayer the way you've prayed it, Paul. Yeah, it's a messenger of Satan. I get it. But in your life, that thorn is a place of weakness. Paul's saying, yeah, tell me about it. But that's going to be the point at which I'm going to pour more grace into your life. Where you're, not where you're strong, where you're weak, where things are wrong, not right. That's going to be the access point for my grace. More grace is going to flow into your life at that point. It's not an unanswered prayer. It's just answered differently. When we pray, our requests may not always be granted, but God's grace is always given. That's, I want you to take that home with you. When we pray... Our requests may not always be granted, but God's grace is always given. All right, so Jesus in Luke 18 tells us to persevere in prayer, not lose heart, and gives us the parable of the unjust judge and the persevering widow. Let's back up earlier in Luke. Luke chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What Jesus says the Father will always give is not necessarily the specific thing for which we are requesting, but the, but the Father will always give the Holy Spirit. The Father will always give, say, the Father will always give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The Holy Spirit, well, that's God's presence. That's God's comfort. You could also say it's God's perspective. It's the holy attitude. And if we have God's present, God's comfort, God's perspective, God's holy attitude, we can bear whatever we need to. And this is the grace of God. And prayer and persevering in prayer, continuing in prayer, opens us to the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now consider this. God will not only not give you a snake if you ask for a fish. God will not give you a snake even if you ask for a snake. God is not going to give you any snakes or scorpions, even if you ask for them. Sometimes the response to your request is, my child, it's not a fish you're asking for, it's a snake. It will harm you. I have to have this egg. God, I've got to have this egg. And the father says, that's not an egg you're asking for. That's a scorpion. And it's going to harm you. I can't give that to you. Can we trust the Father? Like, sir, we can. This is the grace of unanswered prayer. And I praise God for so many unanswered prayers. Have you lived long enough? You know, some of you are 15. You don't know about this. You just think, you know, God should answer all my prayers. No, 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 no. Oh, no, you wait, you wait till you're an old man like me. And you look back and you go, whoo, praise the Lord for all those unanswered prayers. Right? I mean, didn't, it didn't just me saying that, right? You know about this. That there are prayers that you pray for. Oh, you have tears. Oh, God, give that to me. And now, decades down the road, you go, oh, thank you, God. That was a snake. Didn't know, didn't, didn't know that person was a snake that I, was, that I wanted to marry so bad. <laughs> That's the story of some of you. It could be lots of things. What I thought was a fish, I couldn't live without. In hindsight, I perceive as a snake that I couldn't live with. And it was the grace of God that he said, can't give you that. That's a snake. That's a scorpion. Can't give that to you. I will also say that I have discovered that if I persist in prayerful conversation, which is a little bit different, but let's just say it that way. If I persist in prayerful conversation with God about what troubles me, an answer eventually comes. If I persist in prayerful conversation with the Father, my experience is an answer eventually comes. Sometimes, sometimes, it's uh, a direct answer. What I've been praying for actually occurs. This, this happens. And I go, oh, thank you, God. That happens. 
Sometimes um, the answer comes in the form, well, I, I, I have a different perspective on that. That's it. Oh, that, that really was, if not a full snake, it was kind of snakeish. <laughs> Didn't really need that. And I have a different perspective on things. Okay, I, that, I really, what I was praying for really wasn't what I really wanted or what I needed. Sometimes that's the response. Or sometimes, sometimes you just, by maintaining the prayerful conversation with the Father, a peace comes to you. Amen. You go, well, this thing's not happening, but you know what? I'm not troubled by it either. The peace of the Lord has come to me. Be anxious for nothing but everything through prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Your request may or may not be granted, but the peace of God will come because that is the Holy Spirit. And God always gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So I'm not too troubled about unanswered prayer because I've reached the point where that's not really my experience. The only truly unanswered prayers are the unprayed prayers or the abandoned prayers. And so stay in prayerful conversation with the Father. Maybe the thing is granted. Maybe you get a different perspective. Maybe simply the peace of God guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And be careful when praying for other people because we're praying for ourselves. But sometimes the most profound disappointment occurs when we're praying for other people. And we just have a desired outcome for the people we love. I mean, if you come up and ask me to pray for your healing, I'm going to pray for your healing. That's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you to be healed in Jesus' name. But I can't get too fixated on one particular outcome. And so you can pray, oh, God, help my friend and believe that God is helping your friend. Oh, God, help my friend and believe that God is helping your friend regardless of the outcome. Remember, grace comes in many ways. All right, let me wrap this up. I want to wrap this up from reading from this, this good book, When Everything's on Fire. No, it's by me, Perry. Perry's on fire and goes, who's that by? It's by BZ. Because I, I, you know, this is, I, this is about as well that I can say this. It's on page 149 for those of you who want to know. Faith by its very nature is a risky venture. So I choose the risk of disappointment. I do this because it is my experience that God can help me bear disappointment. But if I quit engaging with God by ceasing to implore divine intervention in our world and in my life for fear of disappointment, my soul begins to waste away. What I'm saying there is, is in the context of, I think, no longer believing in an interventionist God is really kind of a way of shielding ourselves from disappointment. We're afraid that, well, if I believe in an interventionist God and I pray for God's intervention and it doesn't happen like I want, I'll be disappointed. And it's a way of kind of sealing ourselves off from the potential of disappointment. Uh, but I don't want to live in a world where God seems absent just because I don't want to risk disappointment. I actually believe, though I cannot prove it, that God is in a constant state of intervention in the world. I hold to the seemingly outrageous idea that God is never not intervening in the world. I mean, not only do I believe that God can intervene, I believe that God is never not intervening in the world. God is love, and God is always loving the world. 
God's intervention is God's love. God's intervening love may rarely, if ever, be coercive and controlling, but the intervention of love is, nevertheless, is there nevertheless. What God's loving, though non-coercive, intervention looks like exactly is hard to tell, but I suspect that has more to do with our own spiritual blindness than with any imagined absence or ambivalence on God's part. I would even dare to suggest that the day may come when we will look back and see that God's engagement with our life was one of constant intervening love. The things that could have happened but didn't. Unanticipated moments of quiet joy. Simple acts of kindness given and received. Friendships that came to be. The strength to go on when we were sure our strength was gone. These and a million other unrecognized graces are what make life livable. And might these graces flow from God's constant intervening love? I choose to believe so. Amen. That's what I have to say about that. But what I really have to say about prayer is prayer school. That's what I really have to say. The primary purpose of prayer, by the way, isn't to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. And that's what prayer school is about. So come for the first time, come for the fourth time, whatever, but participate in prayer school. Friday night, Saturday morning, November 4th. And there's some of you onliners, road trip. Need to just get in that car and show up November 4th for prayer school, November 5th. They might as well stay over for anniversary Sunday. Here's what I want to do right now, though. I want you to stand with me. But uh, before we come to the table of the Lord, I want to pray for God's intervention in the lives of people that really need it right now. I'm not going to ask you specifically what it is. But how many of you say, no, it's a crisis right now. I mean, I really, I need God to do something for me. How many of you are in that situation? Raise your hand so I can see Lord, I pray for these. You see them. You see them. I lift my hands with their hands. Lord, I ask. You said we'd ask and we'd receive. Lord, I'm seeking on their behalf. You said we'd find when we seek. Lord, I'm knocking. I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking on the door of grace. You said the door would be open. Lord, where they are weak, may your grace be perfect there. Lord, it's, it's, it's in their finances, it's in their relationships, it's in their health, it's, it's with their family, I don't know. It's those areas, though, I know that. And Lord, I pray that where there's pain, your grace would flow. Where there's insufficiency, your grace would flow. Where there's lack, your grace would flow. Where there's weakness, your grace would flow. Oh God, intervene with your love in their life and bring them, Lord, to the good place they need to be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And now let's come and receive the grace of God communicated, communicated, communicated to us in the sacrament of the Eucharist, our participation in the body and blood of Christ. Join with me now in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. 
he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for his mercy. So I tell you this in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come. You who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.